welcome to Lessons Online. And the poll winner from the patrons today is More on Mimi. And so we'll just pick up, you know, where we left off. It's just Mimi, part two. So throughout my life, from the time I could start reading, I was reading. I was reading like crazy. When we got to Houston and I started school, they said, you know, I, I couldn't read. And I had a reading problem. Today they call that problem dyslexia. And my parents were refused to believe that. So um, they taught me how to read phonetically. And from the moment I could read, that was it. And I was always wanting to read biographies or you know, history, world history, myths, legends, any of them. I loved them all. Uh, I loved, you know, just regular stories, uh, all the grim fairy tales. I loved all fairy tales. You name it, I loved it. And I could, I would read it. I would. It was like eating. I would, I would read it, and if I didn't care for it, I wouldn't read that again. But you know, there was almost nothing I didn't like. And one of the greatest stories ever written, J.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings was extremely popular when I was work growing up and they were making, you know, college courses about it and people were talking how it represented communism against uh, freedom, you know, <laughs> all this other stuff, and they were comparing it to, and, uh, you know, my older brother's best friend, he, he uh, we called him the ghost, and my dad called him a hippie, because he had long hair and beard and stuff, and we just loved him. My brother uh, was the straight arrow guy, you know, and his friends were very eclectic and uh, one of them was the ghost and his name was Kevin and and Kevin had brought over the Hobbit and uh, he had been he and Stephen had read it and uh, he was trying to get my mom and dad to read it and you know they were just you know if y'all liked it that's good enough for me you know, I'm not gonna read that and um, because I'm not into, you know, the myths and legends and fairy tales and stuff. You need to go talk to Rita. She's into that stuff. You know, so they they come talk to me. Rita, you got to read this book. You got to read. It's like, no, people are telling me that's about, you know, comparing communism to America and all this other stuff. It hurts my head. And Kevin goes, it's just a story. It's just a story. Just read it like it's just a story. Don't think about that stuff. Just read it. Okay? It's a story. And here, Rita, let me tell you this. This man wrote it for his son. His son was stuck on a submarine in World War One, and, and he wrote it uh, in World War Two, and he wrote it for him. So, uh, read it. And I was like, oh, okay. You know? And I took him for his word. I mean, he didn't really know the whole story behind that, but, you know, it, it, it was enough to get me to read it just as is. Oh, it was magnificent. 
There is nothing like a hobbit. That is the greatest story ever. You know, I just love it. I fell in love with it. And I read The Lord of the Rings. I read Gone with the Wind I don't know how many times. I fell in love with that story. You know, if it was a historical romance, I would read it. If it was uh, based in history in any way, shape, or form, I would read it. You know, and as far as The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings went, that was right up there with myths and legends, and I loved it. I fell in love with it. You know, and uh, people could say whatever they wanted about it. I was like, I just don't enjoy your reading. It's just reading. <laughs> There's a story in there, all right. It's the story of good overcoming evil. You know, communism isn't evil to the communists. You know, come on, man. Just read the story. And, you know, this is where I started getting into these, uh, a deeper look into perceptions, even though I all the time had been studying perceptions. You know, I wanted to read about Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and, you know, the great baseball players, the Yankees. And, you know, Babe Ruth's story make you cry. It really would. He was raised in a Catholic orphanage in, in Boston. And he loved baseball. And uh, he ended up being on the Boston Red Sox as a pitcher. The man could pitch like nobody's business. But then they discovered how well he could hit. He loved baseball. All parts of it. But he was a big man. He was a big man. He loved his hot dogs. He loved his beer. You know, so uh, they decided, the Red Sox decided that they were going to, it was better to put him in right field where not too many balls went, you know, so what, if he gets it or not, it's all worth it for him coming up to the plate. So they didn't care about his fielding they, and uh, basically retired as a pitcher and then he would bat and he would tell everyone, you think I, I'm the home run king, I'm the strikeout king too. You know, I strike out more than I hit home runs, but when I hit them, they're home runs, you know. And he wasn't known for his base hits. He was known for his home runs. And, you know, base hit, if everybody gets a base hit, we just keep on hitting. You know, you don't always get a home run. And he really uh, identified with baseball. And so when he couldn't play baseball anymore, his world kind of fell apart. And, you know, but I just loved him. Lou Gehrig was another great story. And, you know, they all have their stories. And they're just beautiful and wonderful. And so I would read about them all. Mickey Mantle, my favorite baseball player of all times, um, Roberto Clemente. I just thought he was magnificent, and Jose Cruz. And when Roberto Clemente died, uh, it was like my heart broke. You know, his airplane uh, crashed, and he was taking uh, supplies to hurricane victims in Puerto Rico when it happened. And it was just, you know, one of those times when you just mourn and remember how great a player he was. It was just just awesome, you know, and so that was, you know, 
part of what was going on in the background there. This is what I grew up with. And we loved our Astros, you know. I got to see, we moved into Houston in 1964. And I got to see the last game of the Colt 45s in the Colt 45 Stadium and the first game of the Houston Astros. Uh, I loved the Astros. I loved the Astrodome the seats. The seats were like, you know, luxury. And they had these cup holders and they were velvety and they were very, very, they were like movie theater seats, only better, you know, cushy and soft and oh, they were so nice. And you could go up to the top and there's a bowling alley and all kinds of fun stuff up there. You had to be invited up there, but uh, it was it was fun if you got invited up there. We did. I got to see all that. And as a rule, when we went to the ball game, yeah, my dad's company had season tickets. And so it was three rows behind the opposing team's dugout on the third base side. And you had a perfect view of the scoreboard. So when there were home runs, you know, that scoreboard light up, cowboys and uh, bulls. You know, and blowing steam out their nose. <laughs> it was great. And they'd light up that board with uh, messages like for the fans to do go, Strohs, go, Strohs, go, Strohs. Or they'd put up little cartoons like uh, when they took a picture out, they'd show them walking, a little cartoon walking to the dugout, going to the showers. and you know, pulling the, pulling the chain that brought the water down on his head. It was just hysterical. And, you know, and that was that modern technology that was Houston, you know. And uh, the whole moon, going to the moon business was big, big, big in Houston. And the day of the moonwalk, they landed and they were going to take the first step on the moon. And that day, my brother and I were outside. Uh, uh, flying a kites and my mother comes out the side screaming yelling at us there's a tornado get inside there's a tornado and you know we looked and sure shit it was this skinny tornado coming down our street it was just coming down the street okay and it was taking out uh, poles it wasn't damaging houses, and uh, we ran inside, we had, we had to let go of our kites, which really hacked me, and we went inside and saw the tornado just go down our street, taking down all the poles. Well, when it took down all the poles, it took out the electricity, and therefore there was no television for us to watch them walk on the moon. So my dad turned on the radio, and we hear it, you know, and then when it was over, uh, my dad went outside to fire up the grill because we still didn't have lights on, and he was going to start cooking up the food in the fridge, and he was like, well, Rita, what you think about that? And I was like, that's really cool they can do that. He goes, can they? He goes, what do you mean, Dad? He goes, well, Honestly, all we heard were noises on the radio. We don't know. We don't know if they were in a studio or not. 
He doesn't even if you saw it on TV. How do you know that's them? Who's holding the camera, Rita? <laughs> the astronaut inside the capsule. Uh, really? How do you know? <laughs> and I knew he was playing the devil's advocate, right? You know, at the time. And I was like, Dad, you're just a nut. They really went on the moon. He goes, you watch. There's people on this street. You're going to think they didn't. And they're all going to say it was a lie. You know, they never walked on the moon. You know, and I said, Dad, get out of here. Because there's all kinds of people in the world. You believe what you believe. And they'll believe what they want to believe. Don't argue with them. That's their belief. That's called freedom. They get to believe what they want to believe, whether you think it's silly or not. And I was like, oh, okay. Sure shit. Not two years later, they were making a movie about how, you know, they didn't really go on the moon and it was all this fake TV shit, you know. And I was laughing. I said, look, Dad. They made your story come to life. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. Because I told you, there's somebody around here been saying that stuff. <laughs> they told, it dropped into the right ear, and there you go. <laughs> and the, that's when I really got into the crazy, uh, you know, end of the world movies. Especially the ones that took place in Houston. Like the Killer Bee one. Where the killer bees were going to come up from South America and come get us. And they surrounded the dome. But then we found a way to fight back. <laughs> I forget. It's been so long since I saw that movie. But, you know, that's when I got into movies like Tremors and Sharknado and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's just hysterical. What we could imagine in that great. It just tickles me. I just love them. And, um drives my husband crazy and he rolls his eyes and he'll laugh with the funny joke, you know, because there's stupid jokes and we all love puns around here. So, and we all have a pretty much a dry sense of humor around here. So, um, that always tickled us. And, um, you know, like, Sharknado was great. I really loved Sharknado. It was, that's when I uh, joined Twitter because they were advertising with, um, the sci-fi channel that they were going to be on Twitter and we could all watch it together and interact with each other, you know. Uh, it's like being in a movie theater with everybody watching it. Only you're at your house. And that, you know, tickled my fancy. So I did it. It was so much fun. Oh, God, you see him grab that lady in the, in, in the tornado. How are these sharks? breathing <laughs> it was just great you know and so that was a lot of fun and so you see the good sides of all these things you know and, and then come the bad sides and it's just people making stories so uh, you start realizing that things you imagine beforehand you know keep coming true and, and you've been saying it, but you never snapped. You never really snapped that you, that really happens. And you've been taught that's just coincidence. <coughs> Even though somebody's telling you, yep, that's how it is. Gets in the right ear and then back. <laughs> so one of the uh, really good ones was um, 
I bought my own car. I'd saved up my money from working at Astro World for three years. You know, and I had become a head cashier there. It was great. I enjoyed it. And I went and bought my own car. I went and bought a Chevy Monza. Paid cash. You know, paid in full. My dad insured it. And uh, I loved that car. I just loved that car. But it started having a, a leaking uh, uh, antifreeze into the passenger side floor. And so I took it in and I had bought it at H.A. A. Fort Chevrolet. You know, everybody loved H.A. He was from Houston and I expected that a dealership with his name on it would do good work. And so I bought my Chevy Monza from H.A. A. Fort Chevrolet. And I really loved that car. And so I took it there and two days later they're calling me to come get it and so when I came to get it it was still leaking the antifreeze so I took it right back you know and I told the man you know it's not fixed he goes darling it's fixed you go I said no it's not it's still leaking antifreeze come look you know so he looked and was okay you know and so uh, a week later, they're calling me and saying, come get your car. And I went, I had moved. It was still sitting in the same spot I had parked it. Now, you know, and it still had that antifreeze in the passenger seat side. So I went inside and I said, you haven't fixed my car. And he goes, yes, we have. I said, no, you haven't. He goes, look, little girl. I said, excuse me, sir. My dollars are just as good as everybody else's dollars. I paid for that car. It's paid for. You are to be a customer service representative for the mechanics. They didn't do the work. So I can see why A.J. Foyt's been losing at the races. Now, his mechanics suck. You know? And I went and bitched my dad. And... You know, I took the car home, and I was afraid it was going to burn up. And I was like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do. You know, and they won't honor the agreement. It's under warrant, Dad. You know, and he's like, well, Rita, you know, they have representatives over regions. And he pulled up the phone number for me. You know, there, why don't you give him a call? You know, and I did. And I left my name number, you know. And I was like, oh, well. He goes, well, I'll call him. I said, that's a shame. My dad has to call and get it done when my money is just as good as everybody else's. And they should do it just because that's the right thing to do. You know. So he uh, told me, well, let's meet for dinner up at the railhead. I was like, okay. So after work, I went to the railhead. It was a really nice restaurant in a uh, the in a train caboose car. They had taken two train caboose cars and put them together. It was real pretty. It was painted bright yellow. I just loved it. You know, and I parked my car and there's two gentlemen walking up, you know, in, in the parking lot. And I didn't even really hardly notice them. I was aware 
you know, and mumbling under my breath. I said, you poor baby. I said, those, and AJ Ford was just no good to you. Um, we'll figure it out. Because <laughs> I would. I would talk to my bikes and my cars and skates and stuff. I always have. You know, so uh, they had passed me and were at the door and I was coming up and they held the door for me and I was like, thank you very much. He goes, sure. You know, so I went into the bar. We always met at the bar. My dad wasn't there yet. And they came into the bar and they said, uh, we heard you talking to your, your car. I said, yeah, my poor little Chevy Monza. You know, he goes, well, what's the problem with your little Chevy Monza? So I told him the little saga. My dad comes up during that time and uh, I said, hey, pops, and give him a kiss. And he, I said, dad, this is uh, Joe and, and Tom. And my dad shakes her hands and he goes, well, uh, you know, so this is your father. You know, I said, yeah, this is my father. And um, he's like, well, Miss um, Mendel, I do recall that your name is on my desk to call you, and it's just fortuitous that we happen to meet here today. Here's my card. I'm the head of the representatives for all the Chevy dealerships in Texas and Louisiana. Because you just take it over here to this dealership, and we're going to drop a new engine into your car. Okay? Because it's going to be fun. And my dad said, well, gentlemen, why don't you join us for dinner? Oh, thank you. And so we all ate. We all had a great dinner. I took my car the next day there. They dropped a new engine in. And life was sweet. <laughs> you know, and it never occurred to me that it wasn't going to get it fixed. I just didn't know how it was going to get fixed. <laughs> so that's an end. Uh, you know, when you find these laws and stuff, and you start realizing what great teachers like Neville, you know, imagine an end, imagine an end, you're always imagining an end. You know, it's the way you think about them that matters. You know, it's always going to work out. I know it's going to get fixed somehow, I just don't know how. You know, it's it's that kind of thinking. So, uh, that was a pretty cool manifestation, and, you know, You'll discover when you look back on your life, you have lots and lots and lots of these. So I hope this helps uh, a little bit. And um, patrons, uh, I hope you'll vote on the next poll. Let me know which one. And everybody else, I hope it helps you know who I am a little more and uh, enjoy the podcast more. And come on by, check out the videos on YouTube. And come on by Patreon and uh, click the hashtag free. There's over 250 free blogs, podcasts, uh, and videos that the patrons support, you know, for you to peruse. And if you, you know, think it helps you in any way and it resonates with you, well, come join us. And we've got a community there and we all help each other and It'll all work out great, I promise. So, up to you. Blessings to you. And thank you. Thank you for being here.